0: Good day and welcome to The Fellowcast. This is the first Fellowcast episode for 2019 and it is an Ask the Pastors episode where we ask Pastor Garth the following question. What is the fellowship as a church's take or view on women in ministry? Thanks, Voldu. That's a really niggly question and um, you've got churches standing on both sides of that question um, in various degrees, but just to qualify maybe what we're talking about, um, the, the challenge in the question is not really, can women be in ministry, right? Um, right throughout the Bible, there's no question about that. Every child of God must be a minister, and the Holy Spirit equips us for that, anoints us for that. The real challenge in the question is, um, to what degree in our church can we see women in leadership positions, in ministry and particularly in leadership over men all right because um, very few churches will have a problem with women leading women um, but it becomes a problem in many churches if women are leading men in ministry um, and the reason for that is uh, the real crux of the question comes out of 1 Timothy 2 um, and I think many women would have liked to have had big discussions with Paul about what he's writing over here Um, in verse 8 he says therefore I want the men in every place to pray lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension likewise I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing modesty and discreetly not with braided hair and gold or pulls or costly garments that's maybe a question for another time (laughs) how do we want our women to dress dress. but i think we'll get a woman to answer that (laughs) question we'll just put ourselves in a difficult position but safer but rather by means of good works as is proper for women making a claim to godliness and then a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness now submissiveness is not a problem for us Ephesians speaks about that very openly and it says um, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So to a certain extent, God expects every child of God to submit himself to another child of God. It's not a gender issue over there. Mm. Here he specifically then says women must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. The question is, are we expecting them to receive instruction from women or to receive instruction from men with entire submissiveness? We can safely assume that, listen, no matter who's teaching, he wants women to quietly submit themselves and receive teaching. Mm. We can easily put a man into that position as well. There's not a problem. Um, So verse 12, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. That's the real thorn in the flesh Mm. over there for it was adam who was first created and then eve and it was not adam who was deceived but the woman being deceived into transgression but women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint so it really is a difficult passage all right it really is a thing and especially with what's happening in the world with women rights and all of those kind of things. So we are very ungodly, non-Christian people fighting for rights for women in ways that I don't think God wants us to do. And then this scripture, just fans the flame in Christian circles. <laughs> all right. So let's take it apart again. Um, just remember what the question is. Yeah. Uh, what in our church... Is the stance for women in ministry That's really what we want to get to um, So first of all Throughout scripture The spiritual leaders of Israel And the church was predominantly men Alright we cannot deny that The prophets, the priests, the judges Even the kings And there's one queen there Over Judah And she's a horrible queen She just meshes it up She doesn't do very good For the reputation of women As as leaders of countries But man praise God um, There's women in Australia and England, really redeeming. (laughs) Um, But for the most part, it's men. But then there are the brilliant exceptions, especially among the prophets. And they really stand out. Uh, I truly believe the best of the judges is Deborah. Mm. And it's interesting, out of all the rest of the judges, the rest of them shame the men as judges, mostly guys like Solomon and even Gideon who messed up at the end. Deborah is just like a shining light among the women. It's beautiful. Um, so Judges 4 to 5. And um, remember she's a prophetess. But she is definitely also a leader of the nation. She act practically leads the nation into war. Um, and Barak says he doesn't want to go without her. Then there's Miriam. She's a prophetess. Um, and we don't actually pick it up as much in the story in Exodus and Leviticus Numbers. Um, but more so in Micah. She's quoted to be one of three leaders that God raises up to take the nation out of exile, um, or out of slavery. And then, um, like Deborah, Miriam is identified as a prophetess. She seemed to have held special responsibilities in leading Israel in worship as well. And she's got these songs uh, um, that she sang, which is prophetic songs. Um, And then there's a very unknown one, Huldah. While she's a very... Unknown character I think she's a very strong argument For a powerful woman leader in the nation It's in Josiah's time in the Kings and remember Josiah is one of the Last of the great kings of Judah He leads the nation into a revival And he tells the nation to go and look And clean up the temple And when they clean up the temple They find the scroll That everybody's forgotten about And it's the law of Moses Interesting, the scroll is handed to Huldah A woman and she authenticates it in other words she must be a teacher yeah she knows what she's talking about about scripture and then when she gives it back to him and says this is the law of moses uh, we better get back to that she gives a prophetic word which is then fulfilled about 35 years later a powerful powerful woman yeah an integral in the revival that's happening over there and she speaks straight to the king Mm -hmm. so she's really in a position of authority like an azaya yeah and If you count them up all together um, There's about 10 female prophets In the Old and the New Testament um, So among these ones that we've mentioned There's Noah Dyer, Then there's Isaiah's wife There's Anna And um, uh, there's the four daughters of Philip So there's a whole bunch of them So as far as prophets is concerned There's no, no question mm. For the role that women fill mm. And they have filled it And they still fulfill mm. it brilliantly Um Uh, At Pentecost, um, just think about what that scripture says When uh, Paul quotes out of Joel He says, your sons and your daughters will prophesy um, Even on my servants Then he specifies, both men and women I will pour out my spirit in those days It's interesting in the prophecy that the gender thing is so emphasized All throughout it I wonder if there's maybe a turn in the times When the spirit of God fills men and women He's actually saying, listen, things are changing um, because it hasn't been so much up until that time. So where do we stand on it as a church? There's actually three things uh, apart from this prophets thing because I don't think that's really an argument. You can't really uh, oppose that women must fill a role. It's very obvious. But there's three other things that we look at. Um, The one is the exceptions for women in leadership roles in the church in the New Testament and there's exceptions there's not many but they're there which opens the door to it the second one is the cultural aspects and we'll get back to 1 Timothy 2 just now because you have to recognize that it's written to the Ephesian church and Ephesus saw some really twisted things with regards to women Um, so when the church is spoken to there we have to recognize there's a cultural aspect to that as well and then the last one that we'll quickly look at is just um, there's an argument to be made for the curse spoken in Genesis over the woman that the man will rule over you and we have to ask listen are we still under that curse or actually turning around that curse um, so let's just uh, quickly look at it the first one then is um, there's a deacon uh, Phoebe in Romans chapter 16 and um, Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon in the church in, I don't even know how to pronounce that, Crea, something like that. I couldn't help you there. (laughs) Yeah, I will ask Rob to come in for that. (laughs) (laughs) I ask that you receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and give her any help she may need from you. So she really comes with an esteemed um, trust from Paul's side and she's clearly called a deacon. Now, it is noteworthy because in Titus and Timothy, when it's spoken about the um, requirements for a deacon and an elder, both of them specifically say in both scriptures, um, I want elders to be the husband of one wife. Likewise, deacons must be the husband of one wife. It's specifically pro- spoken to the men, but here we've got a woman. And the exception, I think, should at least open us up to allow women deacons. Which, listen, in in most uh, Baptist churches, the leaders of the churches are deacons, funny enough. Um, In our church, it's elders. Elders. Yeah. Um, So I think it opens up a door over there. Um, And then there's the traveling partnership um, between Priscilla and Aquila. And both of them are recognized as leaders in the church They're church planters um, They come in sort of in an apostolic role Also, somewhat That they come in from outside of the church And they speak into the church mm. with authority um, And there, there's a funny thing about it You know, like with Paul and Barnabas You'll remember there's this whole thing It's Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul And somewhere an actor t- turns around And it's Paul and Barnabas And eventually it's just Paul And he's accompanying guys yeah. Timothy Silas We find the same With Priscilla and Aquila First it's the husband Mentioned first Aquila and Priscilla Aquila and Priscilla And some way it turns around And then it's Priscilla and Aquila Which just culturally Is very strange Yeah That the woman Is mentioned first It's I don't think It's just the play on words But even if you see it as that They sort of see On equal plane mm. Their authority As workers in the church Is equal mm. um, Priscilla just as much As Aquila um, so again, there's something to see over there for leadership in the church uh, And that's that's the only two real exceptions that we can look at There's another one um, with the host in Corinth, if I remember right, is also a woman In other words, the church is hosted in this woman's house particularly I don't know if it puts her necessarily in a leadership position But listen, one of the requirements for a good elder and a deaconess They must be hospitable and she's the host you can play around with that. Um, then the cultural aspect, just in Ephesus, but it speaks the same into Corinth. Listen, in in Roman culture, uh, women prostitution in the temples was a big part of worship for the Roman religion. But especially in, in Ephesus, um, the it's Diana, the princess Diana, the goddess Diana. She had this massive temple there and it was basically a huge brothel. Yeah. Um. And then with that, there's a lot of manipulation from women's part. That's why he speaks about the in the chapter earlier, specifically to the dress of women in Ephesus. I want you to dress yourself with humility, not with all these trinkets and stuff. Because the general thing is, they would have dressed lustfully. And they would have used that as a power play among men. Um, He wants to turn that around. So we have to see that that's part of the conversation and the instruction specifically to the church in Ephesus. In that that context. Yeah, the context is really important over there. Now, you can make the argument that we're not far away from that, that in Western culture as well, you can easily have women who just don't dress appropriately, and it has to be addressed. Um, But we cannot take that as a blanket statement and say no woman anyway should be in leadership positions. I don't think so or our church does not interpret it that way. Um, and then the final thing, just with regards to the curse, and it's sort of a left-wing argument, but keep in mind that in Genesis when it says, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, and pay, um, in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband. There's another translation of that, but I'm just reading this one. Um, but he sh- uh, But he shall rule over you. Uh, Another one says, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you as if she desires him to rule over him. We have to see that it's a curse and it comes as a a result to sin. So even in marriage, um, but more so in, in leadership in the church, Jesus says, you shall not rule over one another like the Gentiles do. So we cannot look to worldly standards and say, listen. Just because other men rule with power and authority and whatever and climb the ladder and steps on those under them, we should do the same. So for men and women, we have to look at ruling in a different aspect. God wants us to honor one another for the calling that is on the person. And that's the key aspect. As a church, we look at what's the anointing on the person, irrespective of their gender. We recognize, we honor that calling. And just like God says, you will honor the prophet and therefore you will receive the prophet's reward. We look around in the church and say, God God has placed an anointing on this person. So we as elders have the responsibility to open up and say, yes, come fulfill the anointing that God has placed on you. Come fulfill the role in the body that God has set you apart for. We respect that and then we receive from the person, Mm. irrespective of gender. Yeah. that's really where we are as a church so Valdi, maybe to close off the conversation let's just open up this whole aspect of um, your household must be in order right because at the end of the day for any leader in the church the requirement is going to be um, like it is for the elder and the deacon as that's a mature christian that's who god trusts with his household the first thing he says yes your household must be in order you must have a good reputation in the workplace um, you must be hospitable and able to teach all of those things Um, so let's just ask the question how does it look for a man's household to be in order all right it says his children must be in submission in obedience Um, we assume the the wife as well the relationship with your wife has to be good you have to be a good leader of your home and so on for the wife it's going to say like it says in ephesians wives submit to your own husbands as unto the lord that's specifically for the household right God is saying, submit to your own husband, as in to the Lord. Just a verse or two earlier, verse 22, I think, it says, submit to one another. It says to the entire church, submit to one another, as unto the Lord. All right. But in the family, God specifically puts this structure in place. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. Now, um, let's look at a strong leader. The, the obvious name that comes up in these conversations is a Joyce Meyer um she's a she's a pastor of a massive church of a huge international ministry and um as a church we respect her right we really do um uh, we're not connected to her ministry at all but we recognize wow god's doing powerful things through this woman she submits to her husband yeah right and i trust that in her ministry the fruit of it seems to show that she submits one to another. She respects the team that she works in, the areas that she works in. I trust she does. All right. So as an example, just that would be a requirement for a woman in ministry. Just like there's a requirement for a man in his ministry, your household must be in order. For the woman, it must be how's your relationship with your husband? All right. Is that in order? Are you submissive to him? And then when it one comes to the church. We don't force submission. You cannot force submission on anybody. It's a heart's decision. But is that your heart's attitude in the home? So let's wrap it up then, all right? We look through the church and we say, just like with anybody else, is this person anointed in a particular way to lead a ministry or to lead a cell group or whatever it is, might be an elder or a deacon? We say, what is the anointing that God has on the person? We cannot manufacture that, but we can recognize it. Yeah. And then we look at the requirements of Scripture. Is your household in order? Um, do you have a good reputation? Uh, are you hospitable? Are you able to teach all of those things? Mm. And then we say, yes. All right. We we must trust you with what God has entrusted you with in the spirit, irrespective of your, of your gender. Thank you, Garth, for giving us a thorough look at the fellowship's take or view and perspective on women in ministry. I really believe it's a biblical one, of course. And yeah, thanks again for taking out the time. If you've enjoyed this episode, stay tuned until next week when we will have another fellow cast episode for you. Until next time. Bye-bye.